Repentance is a term used for bringing your mistakes before God and leaving them at His feet, walking away from them forever. It's turning around and heading a different direction toward the things that please God. Pastor Daniel acknowledges today that this isn't an easy thing to do. You have to admit you are wrong and that you can't make it right on your own. God can, though, and He's ready to forgive you when you repent. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Jonah chapter 3 as he continues his message, God's plan all along. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his evil deeds should be exposed. See, what Jesus is saying is that the message of the gospel is that all of us are condemned already because we have evil in our hearts. And the reason we do not come into the light is because you know when you come into the light, what is in your heart gets exposed. I've used this example before, but it's so good here. It's like those mirrors that our wives have that have the high magnification component. You know those mirrors? The ones that have the little special perfect light that shows everything? It's not a normal mirror. It's a high-intensity mirror. Sure enough, I came home last night after talking about this, and the light of that mirror was on. Now, I'm here to tell you, that mirror is a horror show. Because in the amplification of the pores on your face and my face, it's horrifying. It's cruel and unusual. I mean, it's one thing to look the way that you look, but then to amplify that, you, I realized that I got hair coming out of places I didn't even know hair could grow. And then there's pores, there are big pores, and there's pores that look like they're stuffed with stuff. And I'm the kind of guy, sometimes, because I know that thing is there, I'll walk by, I won't look at it, and I'll just throw a shirt over it, you know? Why? Because I don't want to see that business. It's like almost like I walk in when the light's on to that thing and I'm tempted to look at it. I can hear like the horror music. And all of a sudden I look in and it's like, and you need bats fly away and it's terrifying. Why don't I like that mirror? Because in it, all of my imperfections on this face, which has enough trouble already, 
is amplified. And that's exactly the way we all are. See, the problem is, is that you, all of us have stuff in our heart that's just evil. And because the stuff in our heart is already evil, we are already condemned. So this message of judgment is the beginning of the gospel because if you're honest with yourself, you realize that you don't have it all together and you never have. You've made a million mistakes and so have I. And so many parts of our culture says, oh, don't look at that. Oh, it's your parents' fault. Like, we're going to either blame shift or we're going to ignore it. Right? Is that what they tell us? It's not you. Your parents did it to you. And every time you see your parents at the holidays, you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm in therapy. Still. I wouldn't be this way if you weren't the way you were. Right? And it's because your high school softball coach wouldn't let you start because they favored somebody else over you. Or, 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 or. We have a million reasons why we're this way. And we never want to say, you know what? I'm this way because I'm this way. I have just as much of a responsibility as everything that was done for me and to me. So we have a culture that doesn't look in. Why? Because looking in is just too darn terrifying. We're already condemned. That's where the gospel begins. But it doesn't stay there. Because look at what happens. Jonah comes in. He proclaims judgment, this message of judgment. And look at what the people do. Picking up in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh, believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king, verse 6 of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and of his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and turn from his violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So now the message of judgment gives way to the movement of repentance. The movement of repentance. I call it a movement of repentance because Jonah comes on in, he proclaims this message of judgment, and all of a sudden, people begin to respond. People who heard Jonah directly, people who heard from friends, who heard from friends, people who put it on the Facebook of Nineveh, or however the word got out, all of a sudden, everybody just started to repent. They started to change directions. They took off their clothes and they put on sackcloth. They sat in ashes. They proclaimed a fast. And by the, the people were doing it, and then all of a sudden, the king gets on board. He hears it, and he's like, oh, no, we're in trouble. So it's a movement. It's not just one person. The whole city is moved to repentance. Now, repentance is a church word. It's a biblical word. It's an important word. But it's a word that people don't like so much today. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, the only time before I had ever read the Bible that I heard the word repentance was there was this guy who used to stand on a crate outside of Grand Central Station in New York City, and he would scream and yell. His eyes were mean. He drooled all over his big beard, screaming, repent, you're going to hell. And I used to think to myself, 
As long as I'm not like you, I'm probably doing all right. And so repentance, that word, it's taken on this negative meaning. But you have to realize that repentance is a beautiful word that literally means the restoring of a relationship. It means when somebody strays on a relationship and they come home, they have repented. It's the bringing back together of what has been separated. And I'm so bummed by that guy who's so angry out, and they're not, he's not in front of Grand Central Station anymore. They clean that stuff up real quick. But it's like, it gives the total wrong idea. And these verses here explain to us biblical repentance maybe more clearly than in any other place in your Bible. Because notice the steps. First, biblical repentance begins with believing God. Notice what it says, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. It begins with a belief in God. Then you respond by doing something different. So it begins with belief, and then it responds in actions. Notice first, they fast, they put on sackcloth, they sat in ash. I'm going to explain all that in a second. And then the king even says, stop doing all the evil things that you're doing. So there is a belief in God, which gives way to a corresponding action, which culminates in a crying out to God for forgiveness. My friends, that's biblical repentance. You believe in God, you respond with a different set of actions, and you say, God, I acknowledge that I've made a mistake. Will you please forgive me? That's biblical repentance. It's just like if you do something wrong and you hurt somebody, you believe in your relationship, you change your ways, then you go, like, could you ever forgive me for what I've done? That's the way it works, and that is true for our relationship with God. See, the Ninevites heard this message of judgment, and instead of rejecting it, everybody like, oh, yeah, you know, that dude just whacked out. Who knows what he's thinking? You know, I don't want to follow that guy. They hear it. They realize that they're wicked. And so what do they do? They believe the message. They believe God, and then they start to change their ways. Now, they proclaimed a fast. So that means they stopped eating, and it goes so far that the king says nobody's allowed to eat not even water, not even the animals. Fasting is a sign that says, God, you are more important than what is necessary for my life. You are the source beyond my source. And we all know we need food to survive. And you're saying, God, I need you more than I need what I need to survive. It's a declaration that God is ultimate. So you have fasting. You have sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was the coarsest of cloth. It was often made from goat's hair. So to take off your clothes and put on sackcloth was radically uncomfortable. I mean, you think about your undergarments. Now, I know maybe you shouldn't think about undergarments in church, but I hope that you're all wearing them, you know? And you prefer cotton or silk if you're sassy, you know? Ain't nobody's putting on goat skin underwears. Like, that's not getting any traction in the fashion world. There's not going to be any catalogs. No. It's totally uncomfortable. Why? Because it's supposed to be. It's saying, I am going to afflict myself to show how seriously what I've done is wrong. And then sitting in ashes. The ultimate sign of humility. It's like, I'm sitting in the dirt. That's what it means. I am part of the dirt. Now, all of these actions, not only the people, 
but also the king. The king is also doing it. I mean, so the king, he takes off all of his robes and all of the pomp and all the crowns, and he puts on sackcloth. He stops eating, and he sits in ashes too. Because they realize this is serious. 40 days. We have 40 days, and this place is going to be destroyed. That message of judgment moves them to a movement of repentance. The early church had no problem proclaiming this. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, the apostles got it. They realized that the cross of Jesus Christ said, listen, we are all under judgment, and Jesus stood in our place, so we need to repent and believe in the Lord that your sins may be forgiven and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's the gospel message. So we hear this message of judgment, which gives way to a movement of repentance. So you have belief in God, a changing of action, and then ultimately a cry for forgiveness. And you get that. Notice what it says in the middle of verse 8. It says, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? It's amazing how often through this story, people who don't believe in God believe in God's freedom to forgive. The captain of the boat, the boat dudes. Now you have the king of Nineveh. Who can tell if God will forgive? See, they realize that forgiveness is in the hands of God. Now listen, to apply it to our lives. If you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, all you need to do is what we're talking about. You believe God. You say, God, I want to change. Will you forgive me for what I've done wrong? That's all it takes. It's so simple, a child can understand it. It's like with my kids when they're doing something wrong. And I say, listen, you better stop doing that. And they look and they believe that I'm their dad and I can punish them however I see fit. And then they stop doing it and they say, dad, I'm so sorry. And what do I do? I say, good, darling. Yeah, give him a hug, pat him on the head, give him some sprinkles, you know. Isn't that the way it works? And that's all you have to do. It's literally that simple because God did all the heavy lifting. But we choose it. Now listen, for some of you, you're here, you love Jesus. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Guess what? We need to repent every single day. Not only do we repent and we become justified, that's the biblical word for being saved, that your position changes from guilty to not guilty. That's justification. But we also repent every single day unto sanctification, which is the biblical word that means our experience of our change of position. And if you're here today, you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you are forgiven, but you still repent every single day unto the change of life that God has for you in Jesus. You are in the process of becoming what God has already made you. So what that teaches us is that for all of us, and that was a really quick Theology lesson, wasn't it? That was a good one. You guys remember that later. All of us are called to lead lives of humble repentance every day. Because let's be honest, you've had some pretty dicey thoughts this morning, haven't you? Right? You maybe didn't say anything. Maybe nobody knows, but you know. 
We all have had thoughts and ideas and plans and garbage that's passed through our hearts. All of us have. And because it is a common reality for us, we need to simply every day come and say, God, I believe in you. I'm sorry for that junk. Will you forgive me? And then, and then look at what happens for the Ninevites and for us. Verse 10, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. So the message of judgment gives way to the movement of repentance which lands on the meaning of grace. The meaning of grace. The meaning of grace is that when a person believes in God and changes their actions and asks for forgiveness, that God sees it and turns from the disaster that he was right to bring upon them. That is the gospel right there. The gospel is, is that when we acknowledge God and acknowledge who we are and turn to God, God changes the outcome. And it's so simple, isn't it? It's so gloriously simple. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. Listen to what the Lord says to the prophet Jeremiah. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, or to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. This is the meaning of grace, and this is the good news of Jesus, is that when we turn, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've been away, no matter how nasty it is, when we believe in God and we turn and change our ways and say, God, please forgive me, then God is a God of forgiveness. Now, I'm going to cycle back to that in a second, but this is what I need you to know. As we've been studying the book of Jonah... I'm here to tell you that as a church, because the Ninevites were the arch enemies of the children of Israel, living in modern-day Iraq, God has pressed on our hearts so strongly the need for us as a church to step in to ministry to the Muslims. Why? Because this is God's plan all along. God's plan is to bestow grace on people who have been brutal. And my friends, for many of us, I say that and you're just like, and it shows that we don't have God's heart. A lot of us, when I say that, we're like Jonah. Oh man, I can't be getting involved in that. I gotta find another church, a church that's safe because I wanna go do missions in Hawaii. Bora Bora a little Cancun mission. Now, don't get me wrong. There are lost people everywhere. And we're engaged in a lot of places. But as we read this, I think Jonah didn't want to go because he knew that God was going to forgive the Ninevites. We're going to get to it next week. You're going to be blown away. Jonah's re- Jonah was just the greatest evangelist in history. He preached and the whole city repented. He would be the Billy Graham of his generation. And he is piping hot mad because of it. Because he knew 
that it was God's plan all along. Just say, pick a country and say, God, I want, I want to pray for the citizens of Iraq, of Iran, of Saudi Arabia, of Yemen, of Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Pakistan. Begin praying. Say, God, just as it was your plan all along to forgive the Ninevites, we believe it's God's plan to save every tribe, nation, and tongue. And the largest percentage of unengaged people groups in the world today is amongst the Muslim countries. And there are a lot of amazing people doing amazing work there who we're going to join and say, God, we want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Will you join me in praying for that? I pray that you would. And listen, if you're scared to pray for it, bring that to the Lord. To say, God, I'm scared. Why do I bring this out? If the gospel, the simple gospel, the gospel a five-year-old can get is that we're all under judgment and when we believe God, change our ways and ask for forgiveness, repent, then God lavishes grace. That is the gospel, that God forgives. And you and I know that the reason God can be gracious to us is because he gave his right punishment for our mistakes to Jesus. That's what he did. Jesus received what we deserve. The gospel is that Jesus stood in our place at the cross. And we believe that and we rejoice in that forgiveness. And if God could save people like us, then God can save anybody. Anybody. Your arch enemy, the person you can fathom loving the least. God's plan is to see that person hear the message of judgment, be moved to repentance, and experience the meaning of grace. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, when the apostle Paul said, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You guys, listen. God's grace is so radical that he can invite into the family the mortal enemy of his own family. That's what he did with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was on a lynching mission against the church, and he became a family member. And you know what's amazing? So are you and so am I. This is why God's the greatest rebel. Jesus is... Have you ever thought about praying for people you don't think God could or should save? That was Pastor Daniel's encouragement in today's message, to devote time seeking God for those you can't understand, those who commit evil acts, those who are simply different from you. God loves people. He wants to save everyone. He saved you, and now you get to be a part of his family forever. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus' Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com.
Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will tell you the next part of Nineveh's tale and how Jonah responds. The wicked nation who had only weeks to live took their warning seriously. They repented and God relented. Jonah, however, won't be taking the news as well as one would assume. Jonah will even get angry with God. (laughs) Pastor Daniel will remind you to always represent God well even when you disagree. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Rebel. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.